Chapter 14 of The Pink Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pink Shop by Fergus Hume. Chapter 14 An Amazing Discovery. Mrs. Mellop returned from the Richmond journey in a very bad temper as she had wholly failed to get her own way with the wary millionaire. Indeed, she was so persistent in her attentions that Branwen put an end to them by hinting very plainly that he was engaged to be married. He also gave the widow to understand that it was time she brought her visit to a close, as he wished to send Aubrey abroad for a time. Mrs. Mellop offered to accompany the girl, but learnt that arrangements had been made for the young lady to stay in Paris with a French family. No wonder the widow returned almost in tears, as she saw very well that the vintage was ended, and she had gathered but few grapes. Bleeding a headache, she did not appear at dinner, and it was not until the next morning that Audrey learnt about her father's new plans. They did not please her. "'I shan't go abroad,' she said bluntly, when Mrs. Mellop had explained matters. "'Papa wishes to separate me from Ralph.' "'And wishes you to marry Lord Anvers.' finished Mrs. Mellop maliciously. Audrey laughed contemptuously. I have refused Lord Anvers. He won't take a refusal. Neither will your father. What does that matter to me? cried the girl passionately. Do you think I am going to place my happiness in Lord Anvers' hands? A man I detest with all my heart? I shall marry Ralph, and no one else. Then you will lose your money, said Mrs. Mellop, with a gesture of despair. I don't mind losing it, so long as I have love. Love? The widow made a face. Ah, love is all very well, but it isn't money, and money is a necessity. To you, perhaps, Mrs. Mellop, but not to me. Ralph would marry me tomorrow if I chose. But I don't choose, as such a marriage would hinder his career. We must wait for better times. Well, I'm sure I hope you'll get your own way. "'But you can have no idea how hard your father is,' wailed Mrs. Mellop. "'He throws me over as coolly as though I were an old shoe, and I shall have to go tomorrow. "'Oh, the man's mad,' she added in a petty rage, "'to think of marrying that horrid woman.' "'Well, you have had your chance,' Audrey said with a shrug. "'And, as I told you, my father has taken his own way. "'I would rather you had married him. "'Then you love me, darling.' cried the effusive widow, caressingly. No, I don't, rejoined the girl, removing a pair of fond arms which had been thrown round her neck. But of the two evils I chose the least. You would make a better Lady Branwen than Miss Pearl. I'm sure I should, assented Mrs. Mellop, with vigour, though she was rather daunted by the refusal of Audrey to accept her advances. Ah, oh, with all that money I would enjoy myself. And if I married your father, Audrey... I should get him to let you marry Mr. Shea. You have no influence with my father, Mrs. Mellop. However, you are no worse off than you were when you came here. Oh, but I am, cried Mrs. Mellop, quite forgetting the jewelry and clothes that she had bought on the credit of her host's name. Think of what people will say. My name has been coupled with Sir Joseph's, and it is a shame that he should behave so cruelly. But I shan't submit quietly to seeing him carried off by that woman, raged the widow, walking up and down, biting her handkerchief. 
I shall tell what I know. What do you know? I know that Sir Joseph goes out night after night prowling about the streets. Ugh, the horrible old man. How dare you, cried Audrey, flaming up. Papa goes to help the poor. Mrs. Melliff laughed contemptuously. Sir Joseph never helped a single poor person in his life, she said sneeringly. He goes out for no good purpose, you may be sure. Why, he was out on the night his wife was murdered, hinted Mrs. Mellop malignantly. I believe he had something to do with the matter. Audrey had no reason to be fond of her father, who had always treated her selfishly. But this unfounded accusation was too much for her. She sprang at the little widow and shook her. How dare you talk in that way, she said in a cold, hard voice. You can't connect my father with... Oh, can't I? interrupted Mrs. Mellop, extricating herself from the girl's grasp with a shriek. Why, when I was waiting in Walpole Lane on that night, I saw your father on the other side of the road. You are a fool, said Miss Branwen, trying to conceal her agitation. Even if you saw Papa, that proves nothing. And you had better hold your tongue, or you will get into trouble. Mrs. Mellop ran to the door of the room, so as to avoid another shaking. I shall get Sir Joseph into trouble, she said spitefully. He shan't play fast and loose with poor little me. I shall go back home today. Had you not better see Papa, asked Audrey ironically, and say what you intend to do? I know what I intend to do, retorted the widow, tossing her head, and it won't be pleasant for Sir Joseph when he knows. You're a horrid girl, Audrey, and worthy of your common father, who is only the son of a laborer when all is said and done. I decline to associate with such riffraff. So good day to both of you. And Mrs. Mellop, bursting with spite, swept out of the room in what she conceived was a grand way. Audrey shrugged her shoulders when the little woman disappeared, as she regarded the hinted accusation as merely due to spite, and without doubt it was, as Mrs. Mellop could not possibly prove Branwen's complicity in the crime. Sir Joseph certainly might have been in Walpole Lane, although Audrey did not think that this was probable. Yet, even if he had been, his presence, as the girl had already observed, proved absolutely nothing. When Mrs. Mellop took her departure, bag and baggage, which she did in the afternoon, Audrey wended her way to Kensington Gardens to keep the three o'clock appointment with Ralph Shea. But although she waited for over an hour, he did not make his appearance. This omission made Audrey confident that there was something wrong, as it was not like Ralph to evade a meeting. Lately, she had noted his unwillingness to answer questions connected with a search for Lady Brenwyn's murderer, and now that he so pointedly avoided her company, for what could be more pointed than a failure to keep his engagement, she decided to see Miss Tote and ask questions. The detective certainly knew all that Ralph knew, and in what Ralph refused to speak about might be found his reason for behaving so strangely. With this idea, the girl left the gardens and took a cab to Buckingham Street. For once, Miss Perry was not in her office, but the grimy little boy, technically termed a clerk, told her that the detective would return in a few minutes. Meanwhile, she was shown into the inner room to wait, and found there no less a person than Colonel Ilse. He rose politely when she entered, and looked at her so hard that Audrey blushed. "'I also am waiting for Miss Tote, Miss Branwen.' said the colonel, offering a chair. Will you not be seated? I understand she will not be long. Thank you. How did you know my name, Colonel Ilsa? I must answer like a Yankee by asking another question, Miss Branwen. 
How did you know mine? Miss Tote told me. And Miss Tote told me, repeated the Colonel, smiling. The fact is, I hope you will not mind my saying this, as I am old enough to be your father, young lady. You remind me of someone who was very dear to me. Curiosity made me ask your name. And curiosity made me ask what yours was also, said Audrey quickly. Your face, your eyes to be particular, remind me of someone. Ilsa looked at her rather oddly. Of whom, may I ask? he said eagerly. The girl shook her head. I can't say, but I almost feel as if I had known you before. I dare say it is fancy. Perhaps it is, and perhaps it isn't, said the colonel quietly. What do you mean? Nothing, Miss Branwen. Only we may have met by chance. The excuse did not satisfy Audrey, but she could not very well go on asking questions. She liked the looks of Colonel Ilsa. He had a handsome but rather sad face, and his blue eyes were strangely kind and pathetic. You are searching for your little girl, she said impulsively. Miss Tote told me. Upon my word, said the Colonel humorously, Miss Tote seems to have told you a great deal. Yes, Miss Branwen. I am looking for my daughter, who was stolen from me some twenty and more years ago. A hospital nurse took her away, and I have never been able to find her. Why did the nurse take her away? Colonel Ilsa actually blushed through his tan. It was in a fit of jealousy that she did so, he explained hurriedly. That is, she, well, it is too long a story to tell you. But I have placed the matter in the hands of Miss Tote and lately she has told me that she thinks she will be successful in finding my daughter. Audrey shook her pretty head gravely. It is a long time after the loss to think of finding her. I have been in India for many years, said the colonel, who seemed to be singularly frank in his conversation, and a military man has scanty time to attend to his own affairs. But lately I have retired, and as I have come in for a fortune, owing to the death of my uncle, I greatly wish to find my child, so that she may be my heiress. I hope you will be successful, said Audrey, sympathetically. I hope so, too. And I think if we can trace this hospital nurse, that the truth will become known. The nurse has... Oh! Colonel Elsa stopped, explaining, as the door opened to reveal Perry Tote. Here is the lady. Miss Branwen, I shall leave you to discharge your business first. My interview can come later. And the colonel bowed himself into the outer room. Perry Tote took off her gloves and sat at her desk. By this time, the effect of Madame Corrali's improvements had worn off, more or less, and the detective was rapidly becoming the drab, unlovely personage she actually was. But Audrey liked her better without the mask of fictitious loveliness, as she had an honest, if ugly, face. The girl felt that she could absolutely trust her, and she wanted someone to trust, now that Ralph had failed her. "'Do you like Colonel Elsa?' asked Miss Tote when the door closed. Very much, said Audrey, frankly. He seems to be a very nice man, but sad. Ah, it is my task to turn his sadness into joy, said the detective, looking keenly at her client. By finding his daughter? Yes, by finding his daughter, assented Perry Tote, who looked a sharp little rat of a woman as she sat at the table. And now let us come to your business, Miss Branwen. I can't give you much time, so please state what you wish to see me about as speedily as possible. I speak in confidence, of course, hesitated Audrey, somewhat embarrassed. Of course, in strictest confidence. Well, what is it? It is about Mr. Shea. 
I can't understand him. But you are engaged to marry him. Yes, Audrey flushed. And I love him very dearly. I don't mind telling you this, as you are a woman and can understand. But lately there has been something queer about him. I wish him to learn who murdered my mother, and he has been trying. But over a week ago he asked me to give up the search. Oh, Perry Tote said up alertly. He asked you to give up the search. Why? Miss Branwin felt in her pocket and brought out the anonymous letter. For this reason, she said, passing it to Perry Tote. This letter warns me that if I persist in searching into the case, I shall experience the greatest grief of my life. Oh, said Perry Tote again, and ran her sharp eyes over the ill-written lines. And Mr. Shea agrees with this letter? Yes. He is most anxious to get me to give up searching, and always avoids answering my questions as much as he can. Today I had an appointment to see him in Kensington Gardens, but he did not appear. This is the first time he has ever behaved in this way, so I came at once to ask you if you can tell me the reason for his change of mind. Perry Tote looked hard at the anonymous letter and did not answer. After a time she went to a tin box and brought out some papers, with which she compared the missive addressed to Audrey. "'Let me look at the envelope, please,' she said after a long pause. "'Ah, here it is.' She picked it up from the table and examined the postmark. "'What do you make of it?' asked Audrey impatiently. "'Of this letter? Oh, it is written by someone who wants the case stopped.' "'By the assassin?' "'Why do you think it might be the assassin?' "'Because only the assassin would like an end put to the case.' Huh, said Miss Tote anxiously. That is one view. But there is another, Miss Branwen. A certain person may be anxious to prevent your learning the truth, in case it should cause you great pain. So the letter says, said Audrey quickly. But I don't understand, unless... Suddenly she stopped, with her mouth open. Oh, she gasped faintly, for it had just occurred to her what Mrs. Mellop had hinted. You don't think that my father wrote it? No. Perry Tote looked astonished. Why should you think your father... It was merely an idea, interrupted Audrey feverishly. The fact is, a certain spiteful woman hinted that my father was glad of my mother's death so that he could marry Miss Pearl. In fact, this person said plainly that Sir Joseph was guilty, said the other bluntly. Not exactly, but... Audrey rose quickly and looked indignant. It is quite ridiculous to think of such things. And yet, Perry Tote tapped the anonymous letter. The person who wrote this may have written it because he suspected your father. He? Then a man wrote it? What man? Can you guess? I can do more than guess, said the detective dryly. I know by comparison of handwritings. This anonymous letter was written by Ralph Shea. Oh! Audrey turned pale. So that explains his conduct. End of chapter 14. Recording by Todd.